Welcome back to Conspiracy Club, folks. My name is Tom, and as always, I'm joined by my stellar co-host, Amir. Amir, would you like to say hello to the fans? Hi, hello. How's everyone doing? I think they're doing pretty well, because we got a new episode of Conspiracy Club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would hope so. I really do. I hope so. This week, we're going to cover some badass women from World War II. Freddie Oversteegen was born in September of 1925 in a village in the Netherlands. Freddie's sister, Truce, was born two years prior and they lived on a barge with their family in Harlem. The Oversteegens divorced when the girls were young and their mother would raise them for much of their youths as a single working class mother, though she would later remarry and have another child. Before World War II, their family would harbor Lithuanian refugees in the hold of their ship to keep them hidden. And as the war was impending, they began to take Jewish refugees into their home as well. They engaged in less daring acts too, making dolls for Spanish children struggling in a nation torn apart by civil war and volunteering for international red aid. In May of 1940, the Nazis invaded the Netherlands and began their occupation. Freddie and Truce, who were raised with the high moral principle that helping others was important even when it required great sacrifice, aided their mother in the distribution of anti-Nazi newspapers and pamphlets and pasted over German posters as part of the Dutch resistance. In 1941, a commander with the Harlem Resistance Group visited their home to officially recruit Freddie and Truce to the cause. Their mother agreed, and only later would they learn that they were being recruited for far more than the distribution of anti-Nazi literature, but instead to sabotage bridges and railway lines and kill Nazis. This is how the story of two teenagers joining the Dutch resistance would become legend. I didn't even know Harlem was like a place in the Netherlands. I know I read that and I was like, oh, okay, so this that must be where our Harlem yeah originates. Yeah. Do you have any initial thoughts about the Overstegen sisters and their what they're gonna do? Any predictions? I, well, okay. Uh, first off, I think what they were doing is very noble. I think it's gonna fall into they're gonna probably burn everything down, or they're going to like almost John Wick style slowly murder each person in that group. The girls seduced SS officers and lured them into the woods for a stroll, setting them up to be killed by a resistance fighter. But they learned to shoot Nazis too and would eventually go on assassination missions by themselves and would eventually focus on killing Dutch collaborators. While their work for the resistance was dangerous, even pasting over posters, their identities as young girls gave them an advantage. These innocent teenagers with braided hair created an unsuspecting image for the SS and assisted them greatly in their missions. Freddie and Truce refused to reveal the number of assassinations, or liquidations as they called them, that they were responsible for. Their unsuspicious image made them excellent at telling targets, often to their homes where they would kill them, as lookouts, and would even allow them to ambush targets on their bikes. It was not all death though. They also helped in placing Jewish refugees into new hiding places and working in an emergency hospital. That's beautiful. All half of that. That end part is beautiful. I, every show, like, you know, it's like, even in The Wire, like, as randomly, like, Snoop from The Wire was one of those things. Like, they always pick, like, that one girl who, like, looks like the least threatening. Even though Snoop and The Wire looked threatening, I don't know how they didn't catch on. But, like, you look at, like, uh, Atomic Blonde or, like, Hit you know, Girl from Kick Ass. Uh, oh, yeah, Hit Girl. Like, all those. That's like the newest trope now, and it's like interesting just to see like real life versions of those characters, or it's like 
nobody would have suspected this child, this little girl to be doing this, probably with their hair braided, like you said. Like they're riding around on their bikes, they got a they got a pistol or whatever in like their front basket, they're ringing their bell and they just roll up and <laughs> smoke them. And it make it even better, like they're killing predators because you can't tell me that most of these dudes weren't after them for like youth, youthful women. Well, you know, they're like they're like, let's go for a stroll in the woods. And the whole thing is that they they were able to successfully carry out a bunch of these killings because they looked so young. But they're talking, they looked twelve to fifteen, and so they're like, let's go for a stroll in the woods. And then these like Nazis were just like, yeah, uh, I'm gonna go out into the woods with a teenager. Let's take a detour to talk about their future collaborator and friend, Johanna Hani Shaft, born in 1920. Hani was born in Harlem. Her father, a teacher and socialist, and her mother, a Mennonite, were very protective of her at a young age because of the death of her older sister of diphtheria in 1927. As a young girl, Hani was passionate about politics and social justice and set out to become a human rights lawyer. She began her studies in 1938 at the University of Amsterdam. In 1943, university students were required to sign a Declaration of Allegiance to Germany as part of their occupation. Schaft refused, as did 80% of Dutch students, and was subsequently forced to discontinue her studies and move back home with her parents. With her, she brought two Jewish students she had befriended, who only served to solidify her hatred of the Nazis and her pursuit of human rights. A teenage girl gang of Nazi killers. That's like, if that wasn't real... If there wasn't, like, evidence of this, you'd be like, that's fiction. The fact that there isn't a script somewhere being made of that sounds outstanding. Like, it's just perfect. Hani was quick to join the Council of Resistance, a resistance movement with close ties to the Communist Party of the Netherlands. And just like the Overstegen sisters, her work started small, stealing ID cards for Jewish residents. Hani wanted larger tasks and demanded work with weapons, and soon she too would become a liquidator, carrying out attacks on Germans and Dutch collaborators. She became fluent in German to better infiltrate their forces. As a Nazi killer, Hani had a strict moral code and would turn down assignments that crossed the line. When tasked with kidnapping the children of a Nazi official, she refused. If the mission were to fail, the children would have to be killed, and this, Hani felt, blurred the lines between their own acts and certain acts carried out by the Nazis. Hani would become a detested figure amongst the Nazis, garnering the nickname the girl with the red hair among enemy forces because of the way she was identified when spotted at locations of assassinations. This involvement led to her being placed on the Nazis' most wanted list. This is, there's no way this isn't like a movie. Like, you're telling me an assassin with a moral code? Like, just that whole thing just sounds outstanding. They made a movie about her, but I've never seen it. It came out in 1981. I mean, I don't know if it's like an action movie or if it's more of like a biopic. I want to know what else they asked her to do or she's like, nah. Like, if the kid killing one is like the extreme, there has to be something worse that they did. Or what was her yeses? Like, what did she say? I'll do it too. Like, what was her guarantee? Like, was it like no women, no children? Or was it like women can get it too? At some point, she would have had to. Well, she's got some enemies that are women, but I don't know if she killed them. And I wouldn't be surprised. That's what I'm saying. Because like, I feel like the men part, I guess I can see why you would only send them after men. Because I feel like it's so much easier to get men lord into like a situation like that there's nobody that can do a job better than a woman can and especially (laughs) in this world like there's no better form of leadership than what a woman can do as a leader like it's it is insane what 
look at this whole team. Like, this is just a group of women, and they probably were more efficient than a good bit of people. Because with the oh, dudes, yeah. you see them coming from a mile away. Like, it's always, like, straight-up tactics. Right. They, this is guerrilla shit. Like, this is, like, slow, methodical. Probably followed them for a few days. Dead. Dead. Like, it's, it's beautiful. I like that. In 1943, Hani joined Freddie and Truce and the trio formed a sabotage and assassination cell. But not all of their missions were with her dear friends. On June 21, 1944, Hani and a friend in the resistance, Jan Bonnekamp, carried out an assassination on Willem Ragout, a Dutch police officer and Nazi collaborator. But things did not go as planned. Hani shot first, striking Ragout in the back, but this bullet did not kill him, and he instead shot Bonnekamp in the stomach before Bonnekamp finished the job. They fled the scene, but Bonnekamp's wound led to his arrest. He was then brought to a hospital, where he gave Hani's name and address to Dutch nurses posing as resistance fighters, unaware that they were Nazis. Look at dudes. What did I just say? <laughs> what did I just say? And, and men are so... I, I hate to turn it to the men bashing session. <laughs> men are so quick to just give it up the goods. Like, if you watch any of those like little like uh, First 48... They get a dude in there with a Pepsi and a bucket of KFC and say, I'm giving you 20 years, instantly snitching on the whole organization. <laughs> without a, a thought, without a thought, all they got to say is, we're giving you 20 years. He's like, ooh, <laughs> it was Steve. It was Steve. Like the whole organization. Like women usually, like if they get caught up, it'll be because they made a mistake, and then after that, they might give up the whole. And they might not even give up the whole thing. They'll give up half of the organization. Mm-hmm. But the fact, this dude got shot. How did you get, do you not know, like, the Dutch resistant fighters? Like, have you not met, like, your crew? Even if it's a large group, dude, there's no way there's going to be people that walk in there who you don't know. Like, since you guys have, like, a, like a code word or something... German authorities arrested Hani's parents and sent them to the Herzogenbusch concentration camp. Hani was able to evade capture, but the imprisonment of her parents and the eventual death of Bonnekamp led to her stopping her work with the resistance for some time. Hani's parents were released two months later, and upon Hani's recovery, she dyed her hair and began wearing glasses to better disguise her identity. She continued to carry out assassination and sabotage missions as well as work as a courier, weapon transporter, and disseminator of resistance newspapers. Unfortunately, Hani could not stay out of the clutches of the Nazis long enough. Hani was arrested in Harlem on March 21, 1945, for distributing resistance literature. What the Nazis did not know at the time was that she was transporting secret documents for the resistance. First off, when Hani retired, that was like Michael Jordan when he retired that first time. She was like, I'm going to go play baseball. For a bit. <laughs> but I guarantee I might come back. I'm not for sure. And, when, and I can just picture like, because back then it was so old, you know, we were using pigeons. <laughs> I guarantee that somebody, like, a, a pigeon just dropped, like, a little, it flew up to, like, another guy's house. And he was like, oh, what is this? And there was a little paper attached to it. When they rolled it out, all it said was, I'm back. <laughs> and they were like, oh, Hani's back in the game. She's back. Everything, <laughs> everything just changed. She came back with a new look, dyed her hair, put some glasses on, which... First off, she's also Superman. Look at Clark Kent over oh, here. Yeah. I'm going to dye my hair, put some glasses on. Don't, completely different girl. Yeah. I don't even know who I am anymore. I want to know, I don't know if you have any more on it. How did her parents get free? Because usually when you go into a concentration camp, I thought that was like... I don't have anything right now, but that's what I thought too. I was like, I thought that concentration camps were like 
for life. The only way I can make sense of it in my head is they probably thought, well, if we release them, Hani at some point is probably going to try to meet up with them. Yeah. To like, you know, say like, hey guys, like, are you okay? I'm sorry. I'll probably go get back at these like guys or something like that. But I wonder, no, also, when they did capture her, did they know they had her at first? We'll come back to Hani in a moment, but let's talk about Anna von Diekt. She was born in Amsterdam to Jewish parents, and in the early 40s, she began selling Jewish real estate and helping Jewish people to find places to hide. In this work, she became colleagues with Hani. Von Diekt was forced into hiding in January 1943 and was arrested by the SD, the Nazi intelligence service, on Easter Sunday in 1943. She was released on the condition that she worked for the SD, and from there on out, Von Dietz pretended to be a resistance fighter where she continued to offer to help Jewish refugees find hiding places and obtain false papers, only to turn them over to the Nazis. In her work as a Nazi collaborator, she trapped at least 145 individuals, including her brother and his family. At least 85 of her victims died in concentration camps, and some estimates say she was responsible for the deaths of as many as 700. Von Dietz may have even been the person who betrayed Anne Frank and her family. What a spineless she sucks. piece of garbage. Yeah! Like, damn, she turned and then, like, she was efficient. I can't lie. Like, she turned and, like, everybody got caught. Yeah, so she was colleagues with Hani when she was part of the Dutch resistance. And you might have an idea of where this is going now. Oh, she snitched on Hani? Can you imagine? That's dirty. Did you imagine being the person in history who snitched on Hani Shaft and Anne Frank? That's a wild combo. Yeah, that's crazy. A person like Hani, you would think she would be like a bigger thing. Because mm-hmm. like she like screams like, kick ass, America. Right. But, I, but the only reason I think she like, doesn't get that is because she's also like, you know, communist. Yeah, well, that I won't, uh, not to spoil it for you, but that comes back, unfortunately. Hani was brought to a prison in Amsterdam where she was subjected to interrogation, torture, and solitary confinement. Her former colleague, Anna van Diekt, would eventually identify her by the red roots of her hair. Hani was executed on April 17, 1945, despite an agreement between the Dutch resistance and the German occupation to cease executions. The war ended three weeks later. I was like, how tragic is that? I assume my thought was, which I don't know if it's explained anywhere, but I saw, it wasn't at least, I I wonder if they were like, I know we said we wouldn't do executions, but we got the girl with the red hair here, so we're blasting. She was this close. This close. On November 27th, 1945, Hani was reburied in a state funeral at the Dutch Honorary Cemetery, Blomendal. This burial was attended by members of the Dutch government and the royal family, including the queen, who called her the symbol of the resistance. Freddie and Truce were devastated by Hani's death, which only further contributed to the legendary status of these women, with her last words being, I am a better shot, after initially being only wounded by her executioner. She has a statue in Canal Park near her birthplace in Harlem, was one of 95 people to receive the Dutch Cross of Resistance, and was posthumously awarded the Medal of Freedom by General Eisenhower. Damn. So, something else about, um, it just a little, it, to contextualize it, um, so she was ex- executed at this, like, mass grave area um and the the story goes which is i think unconfirmed but like that's like the lore of it is that there was two executioners and the first one took a shot and it grazed her and she said i'm a better shot than you or something to that effect 
And uh, then the other one ended up finishing her off with the submachine gun. But the place where they found her body eventually had, this might not be the exact number, but it was like there was 423 bodies there. And hers was the only female body. And I believe that she was uh, the only um, woman to be receive any of these medals or any of this recognition and she might have been and this one is might be incorrect she might have been the only woman to be executed uh as a member of the dutch resistance as well i mean i they can't imagine there was very many of them but she was like very much they talked about it in a memoir that i think truce wrote uh might have been freddie um that that was like they were doing man they were participating in man's acts in a man's war so like the fact that they were women doing this and young girls is and so successful just like even more legendary so i think it is kind of dope though that freddie made it like all of them made it even Mm -hmm. though it's like sad like i felt like it would have been the story would have been perfect if all of them would have been able to like just be old women, just chilling. Yeah. Like, retire, kick their feet up, and just live the rest of their lives, knowing what they did. Oh, yeah. Probably being able to sleep like a baby, though. I also think it's kind of badass that they were like, people are like, okay, how many did you kill? And they're like, we're not telling. You don't. Yeah. They said, specifically, they said, you don't ask a soldier that question. Yeah, literally. Because... I feel like that's one of the ones where it's like, if I told you, you'd probably look at me differently. Mm-hmm. Like, if you knew what I did as a woman, too, you'd probably look at me like I was like a monster. Yeah. I'm going to put them, if I had to guess, I'm throwing over over 50, for sure. Oh, yeah. Because it's a long time period, and I feel like you can catch men quickly, and the fact that they were catching them enough to be like, notable oh, yeah. i feel like it wasn't i feel like it wasn't early like i feel like early on they probably got like their first 10 and no one noticed mm-hmm. but as it kept going on people were like hold on bro what's going on with these women to earn a moniker the girl with the red hair and to be first of all i didn't even know the nazi most wanda list was the thing what a badass didn't list either. to be on yes it is i'll stay that has to be the best list to be on yeah like i like the villains are actually like the, the one that everyone universally agreed are the villains at the time mm-hmm. to the point that even the germans were like we, we were really bad guys like we were really <laughs> bad at the time don't talk about that period you know like adolf hitler's like looking at his most wanted list and he's like there's a child on here oh young yeah. girl are you kidding me we're losing the yeah. war yeah <laughs> That's like the moment he just knew. Yeah. The way she went out, I, I almost refuse to believe she went out that way because that's too gangster. I know. I was like, that one like, seems like something that's like, we got to immortalize her even further. I'll buy it. She deserves it. Also, who who kept that? Like, who wrote that? Like, who? how did they find out she said that? Right. Who's recording? That's why I said <laughs> it's unconfirmed because the, the Nazi executioners were like, so here's what we said and here's what she said. Like they'd have to admit that they missed the first shot, and then say, yep. that, and then tell the most badass story ever. They're like, "I'm gonna be honest, she's pretty badass. I can't even lie to you. <laughs> yeah. J- Jimmy missed her on the first one. I finished her off, but she was pretty badass. I can't even lie. I met her. Actually, <laughs> we were I pissing our back. pants. 
I take that back. I can see them saying that because if she's that notable of a name, to say that you killed her and then also make her seem like a just a giant monster. Mm-hmm. And you know, Germany was heavy into propaganda back then. Oh yeah, I can see that being the way that it happened. Mm-hmm. I guarantee she didn't actually say that. She probably like they probably shot her, grazed her, and she was probably like. And then, like, they did it again, but they tried to make it seem like, oh, she said, she said, I'll eat my children. I'll right. eat my kids. And I shot her some more. Yeah. Like, right. I like that. I like that. Shout out to Hani. What a legend. The war, of course, deeply affected them afterwards as they dealt with the heavy trauma of murder and the loss of their best friend. To cope, Truce became a sculptor and spoke about their experience, and Freddie got married and had children. Through most of their lives, their legacy wasn't properly recognized by their homeland, who labeled them as communists. For Hani, her celebration by the Dutch Communist Party led to a decrease in her popularity, which finally resulted in a commemoration at her grave being forbidden in 1951. This lasted until the 1990s. It wasn't until 2014 that Freddie and Truce would receive national recognition for their actions with the reception of the War Mobilization Cross. Truce died in 2016 at the age of 92, and Freddie died just two years later, also aged 92. Jesus. I, I, like, I thought they'd been dead by, like, 2000. No, nah, they know looked a long time. Well, they were kids when they were doing it. So, they, like, yeah, yeah, they were kids when they were putting them toward numbers. Okay, you're right. You're right. I can see that. That's crazy. I, It does suck. I do feel like, like I said earlier, that's probably like a big reason why no one cared necessarily. Or, like, they took away all that history. Because it's like them being communist and communism being like the new, like, when I even, it wasn't till a little bit, so like right after it became like that new, like, it was a new, not like, you said Nazis, like fascism, it became communism. I do wonder how, like, taken away from their, like, everything they did, like, how children, how they, like, dealt with their post lives. Mm. Like, not just, like, I know. Freddie, like, had a family and stuff, so, like, her thing was cool, but her sister having to, like, kind of carry that and, like, just becomes a sculptor, which is, like, really weird. Mm -hmm. Like, sculptor, writes a memoir, that makes sense, but just, I just feel like that's such a weird thing to have to carry for, like, a kid for, like, the rest of your life. That was something that they noted, too, in some of their stuff, was that, like, they really were kids, and so even though they were committing murders, or killings, I guess, if you don't want to call them murders, um, deservedly, uh, they it affected them a lot because they were still children, and so they had like this deep empathy that was still like untainted. And they talked about how they were like oh consistently impacted by the weight of the killings. And one thing that I think Freddie said was that her instinct once they shot them was and saw like the bodies crumpled to the ground, her initial instinct was to like run over there and try to help them. And so like they, it was a hard thing for them to reckon with. Yeah. Even if they were Nazis. It was some people that could have been like friends of theirs beforehand that they now had to take out because they chose the wrong side. Mm -hmm. It's such a weird idea, especially like, I guess it's it's the same because they, yeah, they're Nazis. They probably did a lot of awful things. But if you look at that specific country and what happened with them, like how many people probably had to choose that side. Mm Mm-hmm. You probably, I guarantee they end up having to kill people like that they knew. Yeah. So that probably also like tied into it. And it's plus like you're living through the rest of your life and it's like you did all of this 
and no one acknowledges it for you. Like you did something on behalf of your country just for your country to then treat you like you're like an awful person for what you did. And maybe not even you, but like your best friend who you were heavily tied together with and their story. So you don't even get to really live their story out the way they're they're supposed to be or give them like the the burial or the love that they were supposed to receive because like not even when it right after it happened, like years later down the line, the team that you joined just because they were the only team that was willing to help you in your situation then becomes the bad guys to another to the rest of the world that was your friend's POV. So it's almost like they shifted to being the Nazi side of it. And it's just it's weird to watch play out. Because I guarantee they probably had to hear so much stuff about Hani's legacy. Yeah. That probably tore them apart. And I wouldn't even be shocked if Freddy never really went into like actual detail with her family of what she went through. I'm sure. They were just always probably like, that's badass Grandma Freddy mm-hmm. after a while. Maybe till when she got older. Like maybe when she got older, because older people usually kind of spill the beans where it's like killed a guy in sixty five, nobody said anything. Is, it was a back. That is one of the things that kind of struck me about the story was like we're not talking about like decades later, they're like, Yeah, they might have been heroes, but they were also communists, we're not gonna elevate them. It's almost like they were actively vilified, like in a matter of years after the war had ended. Like, how crazy was it that they went from being, like, complete heroes with a royal burial, Mm -hmm. a reburial, to completely, like, written out of history because of of communism? That's so silly. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it, the Red Scare's a little bit after. Yeah. By the time JFK hits in there, it's game over. It's, that's it. Mm -hmm. Like, that... Communism became like the new like what? And yeah, the re- and it's been that way since. So I'm actually shocked that they got love now. So they actually it's, had a foundation that was called like the Honey Shaft. Might have been just called the Honey Shaft Foundation. I don't remember exactly. And they basically formed. I don't know when they formed, but the only reason really that is cited for finally her getting recognition is that this foundation formed and they just like pushed for decades and decades and decades for her to get recognition. Mm, I like that. She, okay, Hani has like some great friends. Yeah. They kept her name alive longer than like most people would have. Mm -hmm. But I guess that's what happens when you kill so many people together. It it really did make me happy though to see that even though uh, she had an unfortunate, tragic passing, that uh, Freddie and Truce got to live long enough to see the tides then turn back in her favor and for mm-hmm. them to be recognized. Cause it'd be even more sad if they had died before that. And then they just died being heroes that were unjustly treated. So there's I, like a glimmer at the end. I will say it's an even bigger glimmer because they had someone to share their traumas with. Yeah. Like, they had each other to actually talk to, and, like, they had each other to continue to remember the moments of the things they went through. And they got to see, even if they didn't get the love that they were got, like, that they were supposed to get, they got to witness, like, all the things that we did throughout history. Like, all the, all the, like, crimes that they probably committed, 
it all like led to like something good coming from it. Mm-hmm. Like it it didn't it didn't feel like they wasted their time. Right. Like it wasn't like you did all this like awful shit just to then everyone looks at you as like an awful piece of shit. Like I guarantee there's probably like some some Nazi person who didn't want to do it but had to. And then, like, they became, like, heavy into being a Nazi just for them to then lose. And then, like, everyone's like, you suck mm-hmm. for the rest of your life, which I agree. So, but yeah. actually, adjacently, I have some more information about Von Diet. if you're interested in hearing kind of what came of her. I, if it doesn't end in her being lynched, I'm going to be kind of sad. So, after the war, she moved to The Hague. And was arrested at a friend's home on June 20th, 1945, where she was charged with 23 counts of treason. She was brought before the special court in Amsterdam and confessed to all accounts, but claimed that she was acting out of self-preservation. Unfortunately, her superior described Anna as eager to do her job and noted that she was compensated for every person she helped to locate. Anna was sentenced to death, and her attempts to appeal her conviction and request for a royal pardon failed, and she was executed by a firing squad in 1948. Yes! Yes! And I want to picture, like, somewhere there was a forced ghost of Hani just watching. And this <laughs> yeah. ghost nod as they shot. As they shot, before they took the shot, she gave the nod afterwards. So she's, like, a super e- evil figure. Obviously, she's tied to, like, two major resistant, two major figures um, in the World War II at their deaths. She's also, like, really fascinating because the self-preservation thing, I don't really buy. I, I, it's, it's really impossible to look back that far and know for sure. She was Jewish herself, so maybe partially. But I think I can say this is obviously someone that was not a Jewish person in World War II. I feel like that's when you just got to take the bullet for it. You get caught. You just go, I'm not helping because you led to upwards of 700 deaths and who knows how much other tragedies just from the loss of Hanishaft. And uh, so she was Jewish and she was a lesbian. And then she became a Nazi, which is just like, I would say, completely contradictory identities. To both sides. Yeah. She's she's like a, a walking paradox. Like, what? Like, what are you? Strangely fascinating figure. Yeah, like, wake up, make up your mind. Are you Are you gay? And a Jewish person? Or are you a Nazi? Like, pick a side. <laughs> and it's, it's weird to me, too. I want to know what made that guy say she was very happy to do it. Like, was he, did he get up there and, like, they were like, you're going to get life or we're going to kill you as well. And then they were like, going to let her walk at first. And he's like, oh, hell no. She's not walking. If anybody's going to, if anyone's dying with me, she for sure is so that's the crazy thing the superior that described that ended up not be getting the death penalty and ended up getting freed later on which is just like part of me was like okay i agree anna von Dijk sucks but you oh. let this other guy you only executed the woman what the hell i mean honestly that's interesting is it because i wonder why was it because she was lesbian as well? I don't know if that was known publicly, but he was a um, German chief in Amsterdam during World War II, and he was complicit in the mass deportations of 70,000 Dutch Jewish people to concentration camps in Germany and Poland. 
He also directly ordered multiple executions, including that of Hani Shaf. And uh, he was found of war crimes and sentenced to death in 1949. And his sentence was confirmed in 1950, but he was never executed because the queen, Queen Juliana, was Uh reluctant to authorize death sentences and refused to sign his death warrant. There was like, this was actually like, it was a huge deal. Like the Dutch cabinet was against it. The public was against it, but she was just like really reluctant to authorize it. And so his death sentence was commuted to life in prison in the fifties. And then he had health issues and he was released from prison in 1966. And he lived like another five years. You can be to me hesitant for the next batch of crew. The Nazi is kind of going to get the full brunt. Yeah, like you got to. I do understand it. I understand where she's coming from. You don't want to continue the cycle of violence. You don't want to continue the cycle of hatred. But there's certain groups that you just, everyone needs to agree. We just don't like that group. Right. And we're all okay with not liking it. And afterwards, we'll all be regular people again. But this group of people did a lot of bad stuff. Salute to those three outstanding women. All right. Well, I think that's it for this episode of Conspiracy Club. I'd like to thank the listeners so much for joining us yet again. We really appreciate your support. Join the club. You know, follow us on Instagram at Tommy Mir. And, you know, I hope you have a great week. Bye, everybody.